0: Hey y'all and welcome back to the podcast. You are on the mic with Adrielle Nicole Sparks. And before I jump into the message, I just want to take a moment and truly thank each of you for all of the positive feedback I've received on the podcast already. We're only on episode three. I've already been told that many of you have even replayed the episodes because Red has been such a blessing to your life. We have people listening in from Cali, Boston, Kansas, Florida, Virginia, North Carolina, Atlanta, and even Europe. And there's even been almost 100 downloads from just episode one, and I haven't even promoted it on my social media yet. (laughs) I guess God was like, listen, sit back, baby girl. I will handle the promotion because the Lord promotes, okay? You just focus on the teaching. (laughs) So a huge thank you to all of you who have shared it. Please keep sharing. Please keep sharing. It is helping. It is inspiring people. Man, I just have to take a second. Let's just take a moment right now. Just a little moment of silence and thank God. Okay, so today's message is, you guessed it, It is part two of He Sees the Unseen series. Let's go. And if you haven't heard part one yet, you might as well stop this podcast and go listen to that one first because you're gonna wanna get the full effect of this teaching. It is just too impactful to skip steps. We're not doing that, okay? Now, if you've already heard that one, then hello, welcome to part two. Today's message is called Planted. I have so much I want to give you, so, so much I want to give you in this episode. But before I dive into all of that goodness, let's pray really quick. Father, you outdid yourself when you made us. We are aware that we messed up as humanity when we decided to choose a path outside of your will and ate the fruit in the garden. But today, Lord, we ask that instead of you planting a garden and putting us there to tend it, we ask that you will graciously plant us this time around, Lord. In today's message, teach us to make choices from here on out without anxiety and doubt, knowing that we are right where we're supposed to be at any given moment because we trust in the Spirit's guidance. Keep us grounded, Lord. Keep us stable. Keep your imprint on us so deeply that we won't swerve to the right or to the left like the rest of the world. But we will be a people who accept the call on our lives, the ones who will say to you, Isaiah 6 and 8, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Your servant is willing. Motivate us to follow the narrow way by which you have said leads to life. And Father, we will honor you forevermore. In your name we pray. Amen. Psalms 92, 12, and 13 sets the tones for today's teaching. It reads, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted, Key word, that's our title for today, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Before I explain the rest of this scripture, I want to define what that word flourish means. Because it's vital when we're studying the word to define the written words. It helps you better understand the text in question. And God has a huge brain. Everything has a deeper meaning to it, and he wants you to search it out and find it. So this word flourish, we hear this word, we've used this word, but rarely do we apply this word to our own lives. To flourish means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. Now, since you heard that first part of this series, you already understand what a favorable environment is, right? In short, that means getting planted in God's soil instead of the path of society, because a seed will remain asleep if it's not in a healthy environment for growth. Now, vigorous in this definition of flourish means strong and full of energy. So altogether, you thrive, you prosper, you gain strength and energy, you're full of health and power when you're planted right. So it says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Palm trees are gorgeous, right? They really are. You mostly find palm trees in tropical and subtropical environments like the Caribbeans, North Carolina, and Florida which is where I'm actually from. I currently live in Atlanta, but I was born in Florida. And these are areas, these tropical areas are locations where hurricanes often occur. So you have to wonder, how in the world do these dainty little trees hold up during those heavy storms? Well, here's an interesting fact about palm trees that I just learned. Palm trees will bend, but they can't break in a storm. And when there is a storm and strong winds come, their root system is not weakened by the storm. Their roots are strengthened. The roots of a palm tree will expand deeper and stretch wider to uphold the tree. So by the end of a windstorm, That tree has physically become stronger and constructed thousands of roots from it. See, that's why you can't judge by what your eyes perceive, but only according to what your God knows and can handle, because he sees the unseen. And he knew that when he placed those skinny little trees in tropical climates, that the storms would come, but he'd already prepared them to be able to withstand the wind and vigorously grow in strength from these storms. And if he cares that dang much about a little old palm tree, does he not have the best for you in mind? He saw the storm coming to your house long before it started raining, long before the clouds got dark. He has a compass. That's why he also had a plan. Come on, Jeremiah 29 and 11. You know, the scripture say with me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And the NKJV version of that actually says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is not a sadistic God. God the way that some of us view him when life hurts so bad that it feels like he's just sitting back and watching us maneuver through hardship without lending a hand, that's what we think about God, but that's not him. If he was a sadistic God, that would mean, and this is the actual definition of it, that would mean that he would find pleasure in inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on us that don't sound like my God. I mean, that's not the one I serve. I don't know who you serve, but that's definitely not the God that I serve because it completely goes against his character. The Lord's thoughts are pure toward us, full of peace. His plans for us provide hope and a good future. That's how he plants us. Give it over to him and he'll take care of the details In fact, it says it all in the word planted, our title for today. If you look at that word and you break it up into two parts, you get plan, ted, P-L-A-N-T-E-D. Now take that last part, the T-E-D of planted, and spell that word backwards, D-E-T. D-E-T is the first three letters of the word details. So if you put all of that together... The word planted can now mean God has a plan to take care of the details of the trajectory of your life. That's why all things work together for your good. And there's a science behind everything he does, right? So God has a plan to take care of the details planted. Mm, mm, mm. Y'all gonna hear me say that a lot because it just be too good. God, he is just too good. You hear me? So Psalms 92 and 12 says, we will flourish like a palm tree, grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Now, cedar trees are also very impressive trees like palm trees. They're strong. They're durable, tall, beautiful. They have a great fragrance to them. And they were a major export of wealth back in the days of the Bible. David and Solomon actually used cedar wood to build each of their palaces. And this same wood was also used in 1st and 2nd Kings to build the temple. When God planted cedars in Lebanon, it was a sign of his goodness. Therefore, when the text says you will flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon, that means the Lord's strength, his providence. And his power will be upon you like never before. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 through 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the increase. You know, I looked this up as I was researching to get my ideas together for this episode. And did you know that the words root and rooted appear in the KJV 51 times? The word plant appears 41 times. Planted appears 39 times. Tree appears 293 times. Seed is in there 254 times and fruit appears 184 times. That's over 862 times that some variation or metaphor of being planted occurs in the Bible. And that's not even including words like garden or field or harvest, branches, or any specific kind of trees like cedar or olive. I mean, Clearly, he wants us to learn how to get planted right, because without proper nourishment from God as our life source and root, just like a plant, we will wither and fall away from glory more and more. Anytime something tragic occurs, we'll be taken off course. And this is not something that usually happens swiftly. The devil is smarter than that. He can't get you to turn away from God after one huge incident. No, he uses multiple little tiny things that build up a resistance toward God after some time. And before you know it, you start praying less, reading less, trusting him less, and leaning more on your own understanding. And this becomes a spiritual warfare, just like Jacob wrestling with God's will that crippled him before he became Israel. And at the end, Jacob said, what? I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. But what's fascinating is that he was crippled for the rest of his life from that one encounter with God. You know, I believe sometimes God will cripple us in certain areas in order to save our life. Stop us from making a dumb decision that we'll regret later on. God has to knock us out in love, you hear me? Because that's the only way he'll be able to get our attention. We must come back to the Lord wholeheartedly. We must remember why we love him and why his ways for us are the best. He's seeking our attention more than anything right now. I was in my word this past weekend and something in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 stuck out to me. And a few things did really, but one of the titles for the NIV version of that chapter said, remember your creator while young. And what's interesting is that I wrote a little bit about this myself in chapter five of my book about going back to the time when you were trusting as a kid. The reason is because he says to enter his gates like a child. Children believe in the impossible. They trust in their parents to care for them. It's rare that you hear a kid question whether or not the bills will be paid or if the food will be on the table or if there's enough gas money for the week. Now, I know everybody's childhood is different, um, but for the majority, kids don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I mean, when is the last time your kids asked you whether or not you could afford the rent for this month? I can't think of any incident where my kid has asked me a question like that because they just trust in us to take care of it. And that's how we're supposed to be with the Lord. This is how God wants us to see him, like a daddy taking care of his little one. And I'm learning that remembering my creator, thinking about how far he's brought me, how much I've survived because of him. And how many instances I could have lost my life that it's helping me to trust him. As I think and ponder on these things, it is really building my trust in him even more. And the more you walk with the Lord, the more you will trust him because you'll see that all the things you were afraid of, everything you were trying to dodge, it really means nothing because God took care of it, right? Look back on it and be like, man, I was worried for nothing. God done took that, sealed it, boom, I'm on to the next thing. And what's even crazier is that the scripture the following day after I saw this from Ecclesiastes was Psalms 77 and 11. And y'all, these numbers, by the way, are interesting to me because God had been showing me a couple of numbers since last year. He started off by showing me 411 and I thought it had something to do with my birthday because 411 is my birthday, but it became something bigger than that, and it's been connected to scriptures that he's been showing me um, as I get things ready for this podcast and as I just build my walk with him. So he's shown me 4, 11, 22, 44, 222, 444, double numbers like 7-7, and of course, these scriptures caught my attention because of the numbers. God is just so good, man. So Psalm 77 and 11, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. This was the very next day after after he showed me Ecclesiastes. And I had never seen these scriptures before, y'all. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. So before you lose your faith, let me tell you, The Lord wants to remind you to remember him. Don't look at your current situation and lose hope. Look at everything he has done for you and keep that Holy Ghost fire burning. Keep it burning because it's coming to pass. Whatever it is, it is coming to pass. You will find your breakthrough. Okay, so... As we learned already, planted can mean that God has a plan to take care of the D-E-T, the details. He's the God of details. But I'd also like to break that word down another way, since this is just how my brain works. I believe the only way I can truly receive the totality of what God is trying to convey to me is if I go to the deepest pits of his thoughts and piece scripture together in various ways. So for the second meaning of planted, I wanna do something. I wanna give you a seven step process to becoming planted as we learn from seven different characters of the Bible on how they too became planted in the Lord. Now the first letter of each of these people will correspond to each letter of the word planted like an acrostic. I love doing these. I did, I did this with the activated word when I wrote my book. So seven letters, seven people. Make sure you're paying attention to how their names are actually spelling out the word planted as we move along the steps. Okay, so here are the steps to becoming planted in God. Number one, blind yourself to bind yourself like Paul. Learn to accept the thorns in your flesh as a means to capture God's ultimate power. So we all know Paul. We know that Paul was physically blind for three days when God first called him. But three books later, he teaches us how to remain that way, how to get planted in the Lord and stay there for good. In 2 Corinthians 12 and seven through 10, Paul says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, we read the scripture and it sounds good. We're like, yeah, Paul, bro, you said that. You did that. But it's definitely not something that's easy to do when disaster happens to us personally. It's good for Paul because that was Paul's life. And we can look at Paul and be like, man, he's so bold. You better go, Paul. You did that. You had a thorn in your flesh. Bam. And we wish we could be like that in real life, right? It's all good when you're reading the Bible, but when you're actually becoming the Bible, being read is another story, right? So when the enemy attacks us, He hits us right where it hurts. It's like getting a little paper cut on the inside of that skin right there between your pointer finger and your thumb. Imagine getting a paper cut right there and then somebody pours some lemon juice on it and it just burns like crazy. That's how the enemy is. He loves to hit us right in the burning places of our life. He wants to pour lemon juice all on your cuts. But the secret sauce... And this step is in the main title, blind yourself to bind yourself like Paul. And it is expressed throughout his whole life when he's walking with the Lord. He he literally starts off being blind and then he spiritually stays blind the rest of his walk with God. God did that so that Paul could get on the right track and stay there. And by planting Paul in good soil, the God soil, there was so much glory that Paul was able to carry and he was able to expand the church. And I mean, if you look at his life, you'll see how God took hold of him in a massive way. Paul was diligent, going to multiple different regions and spreading the gospel. And He was such a great leader even before he started working for Jesus. It was just in the wrong way because I don't know if you know this, but it was Paul who actually gave the okay for Stephen to be the first martyr when when Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was the one who had to sign off on that. So that's how great of a leader he was. But you see how God works, don't you? He used Paul's leadership qualities for good. He looked at Paul and he was like, okay, all right, you persecuted me, but I can use them leadership skills now. I'm going to use them for good. Okay, so I'm going to take you on this road to Damascus. I'm going to blind you for three days and you're an apostle from here on out. You got that? And Paul was like, okay. And it's because of him that the gospel was able to spread so vastly. So what the enemy intended for harm, God turned it around for good. In the life of Paul, we see that a little old thorn can't stop the Holy Ghost movement in our lives. Don't look at you and what you think you can handle. Look at God and what he can do. In Ecclesiastes uh, 11 and four through five, it says, there's my numbers again. Y'all see that? Y'all catch that? 11 and four. It says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What's the point of watching the wind when we don't understand its path? What's the point of staring at the clouds when it's God who decides whether or not the rain will fall? If he says, give me your weaknesses, give them all you got. You don't know what to do with them anyway. Let him amaze you with what he can do with your infirmities. Whatever those may be, we all got our own. But when we're weak, he's strong. When we can't stand on our own, he will be there supporting us. So blind yourself to bind yourself. That means close your eyes and let Holy Spirit take the ropes. It's funny because God did this little experiment with me one day. I was in prayer in my daughter's room, just speaking in tongues over her life while she was at school And I was doing this in all of their rooms, but once I got down to my daughter's room, I was walking around her bed. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Close your eyes while you pray and continue walking. So, of course, I'm like, Oh my gosh, Lord, like, don't let me stub my toe or hit my knee on something while I'm in prayer. That's definitely gonna put a spin on things. And I wanna stay in the spirit right now. But I did it anyway. I continued in prayer while I circled around her room. And I tell you what, nothing that I feared actually happened to me. I was fine. And the spirit said to me, that's exactly how I want you to trust me. Blindly. So the key in walking faithfully with God, and you can read this anywhere in the Bible, is walking by faith and not by sight. You can trust that when you shut your eyes off and turn your faith on, God will keep his eyes open and be faithful unto you. He sees the unseen. End of story. And that's the key. If you want to take home the key after listening to this episode, that's it right there. That's the secret. Because going back to Ecclesiastes 11 and 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever watches the clouds will not reap. If you're out here thinking about all of the many ways you'll stub your toe or injure your knees while believing in God, you are not going to get planted right. You just won't. You just won't. So close your eyes and turn on your faith. Number two, the second step to being planted in God. Open your womb For mustard seed faith like Leah. Open your womb for mustard seed faith like Leah. Start where you are and use what you have. We meet Leah in Genesis chapter 29 when Jacob starts working for her dad in exchange to marry Rachel, which is Leah's younger beautiful sister. Leah herself was not seen as beautiful. In fact, the Bible describes her eyes as delicate or weak, so I'm guessing she was pretty ugly. But long story short, Leah's dad tweaks the promise he makes to Jacob, and instead of sending Rachel in to be his wife, he sends Leah. Jacob and Leah sleep together, and the next morning, Jacob finds out that he slept with the wrong sister. I don't know about you, but I would have been really mad if I thought I was getting in bed with one person and woke up with a brand new person and it wasn't the person that was attractive at all, okay? The dad says, bro, I couldn't give you my younger daughter as a wife before I gave away my older daughter to marriage. That's not how it works in my family. So, bam, Jacob is married to both sisters. Crazy, right? I know, but... This was very common back in those days to have multiple wives. Unfortunately, I can't imagine that happening right now in the culture that I live in, but this was common back then. However, Jacob's feelings never changed for Leah, even though he was now married to her and Rachel. He still only had eyes for Rachel, the younger sister. And Leah, poor thing, was unloved. She was unloved. And because she was unloved, she was unseen. So she figured the only way to get Jacob's attention was by giving him children. Maybe if I was fruitful, he'd finally notice me. Leah had what I call, and what we call in the Bible, mustard seed faith. Even though she didn't have the looks, she decided to start where she was and use what she had, a womb to plant mustard seed faith. And let me tell you what, God saw her and honored her faith. The Bible says when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel, the gorgeous one, remained childless. And back then, having an heir, giving birth to an heir to take on the family's name was really huge at the time. So with Leah being the one having the children and Rachel not having the children that made Rachel very insecure. So you have two insecure girls here, but in two different instances, Rachel was insecure about the fact that she couldn't mother a child yet. Leah was insecure that she was unattractive and Jacob didn't want her. So even when God doesn't give you one thing, he will always give you another because he sees the unseen. He sees you. He saw Leah's faith and opened her womb. And I mean, y'all, this girl, she, she was spitting out babies like hotcakes on a griddle. Like for real, she she had baby after baby after baby. And every time she would have her baby, she, she would say, well, surely my husband will love me now. But the thing is, he never came around to loving her, even though she was giving him airs. To take on his name he never came around to loving her he couldn't get past the looks <laughs> like, he was a man that definitely looked at the outside okay so of course leah feels hopeless and maybe even depressed by this i don't see why she wouldn't probably hating herself wishing she was rachel so by the fourth child she just done she gives up trying to please jacob she's like this is useless I just got to accept the fact that I'm married to a man who doesn't love me and never will. And I honestly cannot imagine feeling the way that she felt. Having to compete with another woman for my husband's love and attention? That must have been awful for her. And living under the same roof. Oh my goodness. I mean, y'all, if my husband comes home from work and he doesn't say, hey, beautiful, then I'm automatically like, oh, so you don't love me? (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, so I'm, I'm not gorgeous to you right now You don't love me He'd be like, babe, you are You always are <laughs> But I'm always like, well, you didn't say it That was the first thing that she said You came home <laughs> So I can't imagine actually competing with another woman For my husband's love Wow, she went through a lot She really did So my girl Leah, she out here She let down Let down But then she remembers the one who first laid eyes on her, the one who was responsible for giving her all of these children anyway. She remembers the Lord. And she says, you know what? I'm going to stop pleasing Jacob and start pleasing God. In fact, she named her fourth child Judah, which means praise. Because she said, I'm just going to praise God for all he's done for me because if he had not saw me, I would not be the mother that I am today. She stopped focusing so much on what she lacked and trying to get Jacob's attention. And she began focusing on what she had and trying to please God with it. Starting with a little bit of mustard seed faith and planting that seed into someone that she could trust so that God could do something with it. So just like Leah... We need to learn how to start where we are and use what we have. Then as we use it, we need to praise him for it while we're using it. Because whatever he gave us is all we need. It's enough. We are enough. I'm talking to those of us with mustard seed faith today. Those of us who don't feel like we have much to offer but God chooses us anyway. Did you know that the mustard seed is actually the smallest of all seeds? But once you plant it right, it grows to be the largest of shrubs in the whole garden. And it becomes a 10 to 12 foot tree with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus told us that in Mark 4 and 31 through 32, Because it was important for us to understand that. You know, God created us to be a people of faith. He knew we'd put our faith in something out here in this world, but he wanted us to put it in him. You're going to put your faith in something. Even if that's you being negative about everything, you better believe you're putting your faith in that pessimism. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of being a whiny Christian. (laughs) I am tired of being a whiny Christian. I'm tired of being impatient. Being impatient doesn't get us anywhere closer to the door of miracles. God doesn't bless impatience, He blesses peace and patience. Peace and patience. So if you're the one who's always saying, Man, nothing ever goes right for me, I'm going to tell you right now that's what you've been putting your faith into. You've been putting your faith into everything not going right for you. So ask yourself, is that me? What have I really been planting my seed of faith in? And don't give yourself the textbook answer. Well, you know, I've been doing the right thing and all my faith belongs to Jesus. He knows that. Mm-mm. Be honest, because if you haven't been planting all of your faith in God, We need to fix it. I'm not talking about tomorrow, and I'm definitely not talking about next week. We need to fix that right now. We can't plant a little bit of faith in God and a little bit of faith in our finances. We can't plant a little bit of faith into somebody else changing so we can get along better and put a little bit in God to do the rest of the work. That's an abomination. It's just not going to work. You can't have one tree filled with leaves of worry and have the other packed high with trust in God. You just can't. So what I want you to do today is pick one mustard seed of faith and plant one tree because that's all he needs to make you flourish. You know, I actually had a dream about this Um, one day. I was in a rainforest climbing my own tree which, of course, symbolized the great work that God had done on the inside of me. And as I was climbing the tree, snakes were at the bottom of the tree, seeking to devour me, just as the enemy does. But they couldn't touch me, and I wasn't afraid. My roots were so strong that nothing was bringing my tree down. Nothing was bringing me down. And as I was climbing, the Lord showed me what I looked like from the back. He had switched my vision from climbing the tree from the inside looking out to climbing the tree from the outside looking in. I was able to see myself the way that people were able to see me from a distance. And I could see a vision of my back and my back had about three or four different eggs on it that I was carrying as I was climbing up this tree. And I heard someone say, "Adrielle, you have eggs on your back. And I said, oh, oh really? And then I cracked my back, I bent it back a little and the eggs began to crack open. I was actually birthing God's favor onto the earth. A woman who had a tiny mustard seed of faith had allowed God to plant her just right. So when I say it's okay to start with a tiny mustard seed of faith, it is okay because all he needs is to see you start. Have you ever heard the phrase, do not despise small beginnings? Well, I had never heard this phrase until God spoke it to me one day. And he said this to me when I was contemplating how, although I'm very grateful for every little success I've had, I couldn't wait to move beyond the newborn stage and into something bigger and see things express themselves into more fruit. And he spoke to me and said, there are no small beginnings. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should just pause a minute and learn to actually celebrate my baby steps instead of being so quick to escape them. Learning to celebrate the small things that's happening around me right now and not being so quick to get to the next stage. Of course, I did what I always do. I researched it. And come to find out, that phrase is an actual Bible verse. It's Zechariah 4 and 10. And the NLT translation of that verse says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He celebrates us when we start When we start, when we start making an effort to heal the relationship, when we start making that first meal for ourselves to eat a cleaner diet, when we make the initiative to not verbally cuss the person out who disrespected us, but only say a few choice words in our head, when we start believing more than we're complaining, he sees it, he celebrates us when we start. It is the small beginnings that hold the most power. Why? Because the hardest part of anything is the starting point. But once you start, you're that much closer to your breakthrough. You're that much closer to making progress. And as long as your faith is in it, so is God. Take the initiative Take that seed and plant it and watch favor explode in your life. Oh, and by the way, that tree that I was climbing in my dream had grown larger than every tree in the rainforest, just like Jesus said it would, because I continued to climb it with faith. I wasn't paying attention to what was trying to hold me back or come after me, I climbed it fearlessly because I knew that the he that was in me was greater than he that was in the world. So just like Paul says, I planted that seed. That seed got watered, but it was God who made it grow. Whatever gets planted right in your life will have no choice but to flourish. Number three, make a generational impact like Abraham. Allow God to use what he put in you to inspire those around you. Let me ask you a question. What do you do well? Think about it. What is something that you really know how to do? Maybe it's something artistic, like painting or playing a musical instrument. Maybe you're great at organizing and planning. Maybe you have great leadership qualities like Paul. I really want you to think about this. And as you think about what you're good at, write it down somewhere when you get the chance. And since this is a podcast, if you're on your phone right now and you have access to your apps, I'll still be playing while you slide me to the side so you can write this down on your phone. But if you can't do it right now, please do it when you get the chance because it is crucial for you to know what God has naturally gifted you with. It's something that could never be replicated. I don't care how many people are good at this thing. They can't do it like you. That's what it means to be uniquely designed. And maybe you just have no idea what your gift is yet. You have some ideas, but not truly sure. And if that's the case, I want you to ask the Lord to show you what you're good at and he'll reveal it to you. If he gave it to you, He wants you to use it, so why wouldn't he reveal it to you? That makes no sense. My son has been saying that a lot lately, y'all. He'd be like, "Mm mm-mm, mommy, that just makes no sense. (laughs) Kayla makes no sense. I don't know why she did that. So it wouldn't make any sense for God to put something in you that you're good at, and he wouldn't show you what it is. Ask him, and you will find it out. Now, once you figure out what you're good at, think of ways to express that gift for people in some creative way because what is locked on the inside of you is big enough to make a generational impact just like what was on the inside of Abraham has impacted the entire human species as we know it. Abraham is the guy whom our lineage as a chosen people came through because God used him to make a generational impact and we have a legacy on the inside of us To continue making the same type of impact. You weren't born just so you could do the bare minimum and pass away. You are the light and salt of the earth. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Even Jesus, who we always say was put here just so he can die. That wasn't his only mission. He was not born for that mission only. In three years, Jesus changed how the world thought how we taught the scriptures and how we lived out the gospel he completely rewired humanity then he conquered death on top of all of that then you know what he tells us he says you will do all of this and more Jesus did so much that the entire world couldn't hold the amount of books that will be written about him and he says my people gonna do all of this and more Why does he say that? He says, because I'm sending my spirit back to empower you to do it. It's better that I leave so that I can come back through spirit and live on the inside of you. So there is something that you are good at, that you need to find out what that thing is and learn how to express that gift that you have been given for other people. Now, this can be something as simple as being a great listener or a comforter, even just being a mother or a husband. You know, gifts like that will impact generations because love and kindness creates a reputation for you. And that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But Jesus grabbed his reputation because of love and kindness that he shared. So don't think that being a mother or a stay-at-home mom like I am, don't think that that's that, that's not ministry because it's ministry and it's a gift that can create a generational impact. The way that I treat my kids will impact the way that they treat people. So whatever you do will be a magnetic force for whoever comes in contact with you because we need each other. We need each other. We influence one another. He brought us here and made people so that we could connect and use each other to get power from and get inspiration from. Y'all know that gospel song, I Need You to Survive by Hezekiah Walker. I I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but listen to that song. It will show you exactly what I'm talking about. We are all a part of God's body. First Corinthians 12 and 12, that's another set of my numbers that God has been showing me, 12, 12. It says, just as a body, Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, the spirit of God. And that one spirit distributes different gifts to various parts of his body. That's why comparing yourself to others is a dangerous place to be in. Because you will compromise the promise over your life, trying to fit the mold of someone else. The Bible says all of the body can't be an ear. All of the body can't be a foot. We need different parts to work together. So it's okay if that's all you can do. There's no sense in comparing yourself and feeling like you're less than because God died for all of us. He died for each and every one of us. So what even is comparison? When you think about it like that, like what even is comparing if God said, I love all of y'all the same? He doesn't even show favoritism. It looks like he shows favoritism because some people have things that other people don't, but that doesn't mean God loves that person more. All that that means is that he chose to give that person this and he chose to give you that. So remember that, don't compare yourself. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Like Jojo says, it makes no sense. But listen, here's what I want you to know. When it comes to this, when it comes to expressing your gift or doing the things that you feel God has called you to do, he's not asking you to wear yourself out, trying to please him with this gift of yours. Do whatever you do in balance, making sure you never put more on yourself than you can bear. Do a little bit, rest and reflect. Do a little bit more. Rest and reflect. And as you live your life in this sort of a balance, you'll never get worn out. He will keep you through it all. Okay, so step four build an ark of character like Noah. Noah was a man who was the most righteous out of all the people in the land. So you know the story God was disappointed in everybody else, but told Noah to build an ark for his family and two of every creeping thing on the ground. He was a man of good character. He was perfect in his generations. As the word says, he obeyed God and he built the ark. Now y'all, this ark was carefully calculated by God. He said, use gopher wood, create rooms, cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, pitch is a black glue-like substance that's left behind when tar is heated up. God told Noah to cover the ark with this because it would keep the water out and give it an added protection from outside forces. Then he said the ark needs to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits tall. That equates to at least 450 feet long 70 feet wide and 45 feet tall. It was the size of one and a half football fields. That's huge. That is huge. And he did it exactly as God calculated it. Now, in referencing this story, I see this as God urging us to build an arc of character like Noah. And he tells us exactly how to do it. Just like he told Noah, adapt my fruits, the fruits of the spirit. What are those? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The nine fruits. Put on my traits. That's why he says, be holy as I am holy. Seek my kingdom and its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What is that? What does that mean? I will give you anything you need as long as you remain rooted in me. Put on the armor of truth and stand your ground. And all of this pretty much sums up a believer's character. But do you think God is just telling us to do these things to be a strict and authoritative God? No, he's telling us these things to help us. If Noah didn't do the exact measurements, of what God said, things would have went an entirely different way. If he didn't put the pitch and cover the whole thing with that, water would have gotten in. He had to do it exactly as God said. And a lot of times we miss out on God because we don't do it exactly like he says. God tells us these things so that our life can be more peaceful and in balance. Because you see, the enemy is busy. He always going to be busy. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy. Whose enemy? Your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be cautious as you're getting planted in God. Remain alert and don't let anything take you off your Holy Ghost post. Step number five, analyze and prioritize like Thomas. Now, Thomas is one of the disciples from the Bible who we often call Doubting Thomas. And people have even coined a phrase after him. Whenever they're around a doubter, they'll say, don't be a Doubting Thomas. You know, it's pretty funny and it's actually very true because he did doubt whether that was actually Jesus who rose from the dead. He said, I won't believe unless I put my finger in his hands and in his side. So the first thing God said to him was, come and put your fingers into my hands and my side. So, of course, Thomas did it and he believed. Then he was all like, oh, my Lord, my Lord, right? But Jesus was teaching him a little lesson about himself in that instant. He said, you believed only because you've seen But blessed is the one who doesn't see and still believes. We can learn from Thomas. He did do one thing right that pleases God when we do it. And that is he analyzed and prioritized. He literally planted his finger in God's hand inside and then said, okay, this is definitely my Lord and Savior. He did it the wrong way now, but we can choose to do it right because God says he wants us to be wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. What does a serpent do? A serpent analyzes things. What did the serpent do in the very beginning to trick Adam and Eve? He analyzed and prioritized. He compared the good from the bad and he prioritized one over the other. We need to learn how to do this ourselves. Proverbs 25 and two says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing in the glory of a king to search it out. That which is concealed needs to be searched out. We need to learn to decipher God from society, holiness from culture. We can't be out here doing everything the world does just because it's common. That which is common is clearly not of God because the common is the broad way which leads to destruction, but the uncommon is the narrow way which leads to life. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? It means we are not to give in. Whatever you do, do not give in. I don't care what this world is trying to get us to accept. Analyze it first and see whether or not is from God. Because your spirit is going to tell you, mm, something Something don't feel right about this. Listen to that nudge. Don't ignore it. Anytime I haven't listened to a nudge from God, it always bit me in the, in the butt at the end of it. Because he was trying to tell me I didn't feel okay about this and you should have prevented this from happening. And now I got to get you out of something that I was trying to prevent you from getting into in the first place. I told you this in episode one, God will not yell at you. You're supposed to get to a place in God where he can breathe on you and you can feel it. Now, after you've analyzed the origin, whether godly or ungodly, common or uncommon, prioritize your faith over everything. If you know that movie is pretty much a porno, turn it off. If you know your friends take you out of that deep and pure place that God has put you in and you just got out of prayer and now you just, you feel like you back into the world because of the friends that you hang around find new ones. No more watering down God's voice. No more. It's just not fair to him. It's not. Okay, but Adriel, how do I really know if it's of God or not? you'll know that spirit in you will instantly go against it. Don't push that feeling away. Listen to it. Because the spirit can't accept what the flesh wants and vice versa. They are at constant war with one another. So you have to ask yourself, do I feel more comfortable pleasing my flesh or pleasing my spirit? Prioritize God over culture. Culture says yes to something, chances are you need to be saying no. Culture says no to something, chances are you need to be saying yes. It's as simple as that. Step number six, walk faithfully with God 365 days per year. Like Enoch, choose relationship over religion. Now my man Enoch is rarely mentioned when people preach the gospel. And it's because he didn't have a detailed story like some of the others in the Bible. His entire life story began and ended in four verses. That was all my man got, Genesis 5 and 21 through 24. But I found Enoch to be extremely inspiring for my own life because he showed us so much in those verses. Enoch lived exactly 365 years before God just took him away not by death either, God just took him up. The Bible says he was no more, but the highlight of his story, he had a daily faithful walk with the Lord. Look at the irony in his age though. He left at exactly 365 years of living on the earth, just like there are 365 days in a year. He taught us something. He taught us about the power of daily bread and what it can do for us. If you serve God every waking day of your life, he will surely bless you for it. But what does it mean to walk faithfully before God? We hear this all the time, but what does it really mean? It means the two of you are in a legal agreement with one another. He promises to shepherd you if you promise to never let go of his hand. You know, when I was pregnant with Jace, it was a very difficult time for me. I've spoke about this a few times already. And I remember seeing a vision of myself walking around the house, limping pretty much because I could barely walk with the big stomach that I had and my bones breaking and everything was just absolutely horrible, y'all. But I seen an angel lifting me up as I walked about the house. So whenever I would get up and go to the bathroom, my husband would help me and there'd be an angel. I could see an angel. Um, and I just remembered thinking that even when we go through the most painful experiences, he is right there holding us up, helping us get through it. Because I'm telling you, he is not a sadistic God. He's just not, he loves us to death. And then there was another time um, where I had gotten flu-rona. I had gotten flu-rona y'all. And I don't know if any of you have ever gotten that before. I had the flu and Corona and my stomach would not allow me to accept the tiniest drip of water. I was vomiting consistently. I hate throwing up. And this was the worst throwing up experience I had ever had. Even when I would try to suck on ice chips, my stomach would get a little bit of the water because it was going down my throat. And I would immediately vomit it up. I couldn't vomit anymore. I was getting to the point where there was nothing left to vomit up. But the the motion of vomiting kept coming. And I had thrown up so much that my blood vessels underneath my eyes had begun to burst so I had blood sockets under my eyes at this time that you could see the little red dots oh and it was not a it was not a good time that was about three or four days of that and on the last night I was still feeling so tired from all of the throwing up just so weak and I got up off the sofa and I started preaching. I don't even know what I was saying y'all, but I literally was sitting on the on the sofa and stood up and started preaching to my husband. And I didn't even realize I was preaching until after I had already done a, a full sermon. And he was just on the sofa like, mm-hmm, yup, that's right, boo, that's right. yep, girl, you better preach that thing. And I look around at myself and I'm like, what am I doing? I am so sick right now. I do not need to be preaching. So of course, God, through my husband, he said, I said, well, why do I feel stronger when I'm supposed to be weaker? I'm sick and I feel so weak, but I feel so spiritually strong today more than other days. And I'm like, well, why is this happening? And my husband said, because that's when you need him the most. (laughs) That's when you need God the most. When you're the weakest, you're the strongest. It just did something to me. It really did, y'all. Just knowing that when I am physically weak, I am spiritually strong. I really played out that scripture that Paul says that I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Because I felt that. Now I don't want to get sick again to have to feel that type of strength. I mean, I, Lord, if you're listening, I know you're listening. Please, Lord, I, don't, I do not need FluRona again. <laughs> but I just want to, I wanted to share that experience with you because when we are weak. He is strong. And as we walk with God, he promises to shepherd us if we never let go of his hand. Walk faithfully with him 365 days per year without fear. And you know, fear not is one of the phrases in the Bible that is written 365 times. He wants us to have that fearless attitude on a daily basis. Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind is to make sure you always choose relationship over religion. There was a meme that I seen a long time ago, and it said, religion says, oh, no, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Meaning I can't face God after what I did. Right. But relationship says, oh, no, I messed up. Let me call my dad. See, religion is based on works, but relationship is based on grace. Relationship is what takes you from being a giver, trying to please God with works, to becoming a receiver, accepting God's unconditional love for you, and being at peace with that. How does a good husband treat his wife? He adores her. He waits hand and foot on her. Being in the marriage with my husband has shown me just how much God loves us as his bride. I had another dream a few nights ago, almost like the one I told you about in episode one where I was talking to another young woman who felt as though um, she was a little confused in her relationship with the Lord. And while speaking to her, God gave me the strongest sense of his love. It was as if he took my heart out and put his heart in my chest because I could feel the weightiness of his compassion for us. I can, I can even still feel it right now as I'm talking to you. I remember that feeling. It was heavy with the deepest affection you would ever feel. I love my husband and children to death, and I've never felt such a strong adoration as I felt in this dream. It was absolutely exceptional. So as I felt his heart, he spoke to me. And I said to her, sweetheart, I can feel his compassion for you at this moment. And he just told me to tell you that he loves you deeply. And I know for some of you that, that may be nothing at all. Like I I want a long, longer prophecy than that. But that was all this woman needed to hear because she started crying profusely. Sometimes all we need to know is that God loves us deeply and that changes so much. So I just stayed right there and I comforted her through it. And um, I left that dream and, It was something that I'm never going to be able to forget. Love is a gift to us. It's free and we don't even take it. There are no fingers that God points at you. He's not pointing a finger at you. And if He does lift out a finger, it's only for the mere purpose of you grabbing hold of it like a child holds their dad's finger to feel safe. Relationship over religion when it comes to Jesus. All right, so the last step in getting planted in God is to be a giant slayer like David. The story of David and Goliath, mm, such a good one. Now David was the petite young man that God chose to anoint as king over all of his visually qualified brothers. Did you catch that? his seven brothers were visually qualified to be king but God rejected all of them Samuel said but surely this one is the Lord's anointed and he was pointing at one of the other brothers God said do not look at his appearance or physical stature for I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart wait, that's cold. That is cold and good at the same time. People measure externally. God measures internally. It's your heart that he's looking at. You know, I was in prayer one day and I wasn't saying anything. I just wanted to kind of soak up God's love. And I hadn't prayed for the day. So of course I was like, well, man, I need to open my mouth. But for some reason... I just couldn't get any words out. And God said, you know, even when you're not speaking, I'm listening. Right? And I was like, huh? He was like, I'm listening to your heart. Oh my gosh. He is so good. So your heart has to be in sync with him. He hears your heart. He sees your heart. And he wanted David And David was planted in the Lord even before he became anointed. And that's why God chose him. See, I'm a David now. Anytime people would see David, they say, oh, he's glowing with health and handsome. That's pretty much all he is. People do the same to me. People look at my pretty face and think that that's all there is to me. Like I'd be the one who's trying to use her face to get somewhere in life. But I'm not actually intelligent. If I have a YouTube channel, oh, it must be about makeup, right? Nope, it's not. It's all prophetic love. They ask me when I tell them I wrote a book. Oh, is it just about you and your life? Nope, it's not. It's a nine-step method to slay depression and birth as the word of God. Oh, you have kids? Wow, you look so young. I sure do. I have three of them. And my baby came out 10 pounds with no C-section. I am all about God and he is all for me. And there is so much more to me than what meets the eye. So listen, I get it. I get it, David. (laughs) God chose David, the little man, the one who everybody underestimated. And this little man whom the world undermined was able to do what? Kill a nine foot tall giant. Come on, God's anointed. Listen, that is what the anointment can do for you. Now, if we look at this beautiful story, I picked out three reasons that David was able to kill Goliath. Firstly, God had been prepping him for this battle long before he knew anything about it. That's why David defended himself. And he said, I do this on a day week. He said, I've rescued my father's sheep from the mouths of lions and bears. And when they turned on me, I killed them. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The same God who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. That's 1 Samuel 17 and 34 through 37. So get your confidence up like David. And let God prepare you because he's preparing you for something you still might not even end up getting tested on until a year or two or three down the line. But let him prepare you for it. You might have to fight something three times your size. Listen, the process is worth it. Trust it. The second reason he was able to kill Goliath was because David came at him with a brand new tactic. Saul was like, okay, David, well, since you're going to fight Goliath and try to kill him, you're going to need all this gear. So here you go. Here's this, here's that. David was like, he started trying it on. He was like, um, I I can't fight with all of this on. God didn't prepare me this way with the lions and the tires and the bears on oh, my. I don't need all of that. All I need are these stones right here. Then I'm going to use this sword right here and I'm going to cut his head off after I repeat, after I knock him off his feet, God will help you knock your giants down first and then he'll tell you to cut off their head at the root so that that thing that you were fighting doesn't spring back up in your bloodline, in your children's children. They're not going to have to battle it because you're going to already have cut it out at the root and it's going to be out of there. Are you listening? David did something unusual, though. He used a stone. He used a stone. Everybody was trying to come at Goliath with a sword. And Goliath was like, "Mm -mm. I'm going to keep causing havoc up in this place right here because y'all ain't got nothing on me. David was like, all I need is a stone. So he went over there by the brook and he chose five smooth stones. And what's crazy is that it only took one stone to knock Goliath down. And the way that I see that is the five stones equaled grace. Five is the number of grace. And grace through the means of one stone was all he needed. Grace through the means of one God is all you need for your giants. David says, you came at me with sword and spear and javelin and height, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, and it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. (laughs) So that answers reason number three on how David was able to kill Goliath. God was with him. I prophesy over you today that the Lord will be with you so strong that you will barely lay a finger on your giants. That you just showing up with Jesus and faith made of stone, faith made of smooth stone, will knock that issue flat on its face. I prophesy over you that God will teach you how to come at your problems with a fresh angle. Ask him to teach you how to look at the burdens on your lap in a whole new light. Ask him to remind you that he's with you. Y'all know Josiah. I just have so many stories about Josiah. So last year, God kept saying, I'm with you. You got this because I'm with you. If you go this way, you go down this route, I'm with you. Since you're doing this um, based on my will. So you don't really have to think about, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Because I'm with you. So he just kept telling me that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know how we are. We, we hear God, but we it ain't really clicking, right? So one night I started praying and my son, Josiah, he walked in to the kitchen and he was like, wow, mommy. I'm like, what, what's what's going on? Wow, you sound so good. I was like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, I was just praying. And then I said, well, maybe I might be doing this on a mic one day. Um, talking on a mic to lots of people. And he was like, yeah, you will, mommy, because God is with you. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't even finish the prayer. I, Of course, she started crying, y'all. I was bawling. God had been telling me, I'm with you, I'm with you. And because I wouldn't listen, fully accept that, he used my little son, to tell me. (laughs) Can I just tell y'all, God will get it through to you one way or the other. He says, because I give the spirit without limit. There is a certain kind of confidence you get when you know that God is with you. I want to teach you today how to call on the names of the Lord according to your giants. You know, back in the Old Testament days, the name of a person represented the fullness of their being. That's why you see the Lord being called different names according to whatever trait he was expressing at that appointed time. He'd announce himself based on how he was getting ready to show up and show out. So when he came to Moses, he said, I'm the great I am, I am that I am, right? So I put together a little list of some of the names of God and how you can use them to your advantage in prayer over whatever giant you're facing at the moment. Call him Abba, which means father or daddy, whenever you just need a hand to hold or a chest to cry on, just for someone to understand you. Call him El Royi, R-O-I, El Royi, which means the God who sees whenever you feel unseen. This is what Hagar named him when she felt used and undervalued by people, yet wanted by God. Call him Alpha and Omega, which means the beginning and end. When you're doubting whether something will turn out for your good, know that he sets the end from the beginning and it's already taken care of. You know that's why the Hebrew language is written from right to left because God sets the end from the beginning. Call him Lord of the Sabbath, which means rest, whenever you're feeling overworked and weary and in need of restoration. Call him Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals whenever you're brokenhearted or in need of physical healing in your body. Remember that he's close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit as Psalms 34 and 18 says. And lastly, call him Elohim, which means creator. When you need to be reminded of who's in control, the one who made everything come to be out of nothing is the same one who can handle you and yours. Use these names of God to kill your giants because there's power in prayer. And there is also power in the name. Side note, did you know that if you rearrange the letters in the word name, you get amen? (laughs) God showed me that one day. So just calling on the name, capital N, as in the name of the Lord, while you're in prayer, means it's already done. It is already done. Man, this is blessing me. goodness. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but today's message has truly been an eye-opener for me, and I'm definitely going to be listening to this a couple of times. So here's a quick little recap of today's message since I know how brain-heavy it might have been. Just in case you missed the acrostic from the word planted, today what we did was break that word down letter by letter and learn seven steps to becoming planted while simultaneously connecting each of those letters to seven people in the Bible. So we had P for Paul, L for Leah, A for Abraham, N for Noah, T, Thomas, E, Enoch, and D, David. P L A N T E D Planted Step number 1 you blind yourself to bind yourself like Paul 2 open your womb for mustard seed faith like Leah 3 make a generational impact like Abraham 4 build an ark of character like Noah 5 analyze and prioritize like Thomas. Six, walk faithfully with God 365 days per year like Enoch. And seven, be a giant slayer like David. The word of God is so powerful when we learn how to pause, reflect, and get planted in it. If I were you, I'd replay this episode a few times just to get a hold of things that may have slid by you as you were listening. Because like I said, I'm going to have to replay it myself and hear all of this goodness a couple of times. Listen to it three times if you have to now and really absorb this information because it will help you. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast today. And if you enjoyed today's message, there is a way for you to rate this show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have not done this already for Spotify in particular, because this is usually how I hear my own podcast and how I share it. You'd have to click on read the podcast underneath the episode title. It'll take you to the home screen where you can view all the episodes and there will be an option to click on the stars and rate it. Please do this for me as I am building up this community of believers who are on fire for God implanted in his word instead of this world. Also, if you'd like to reach out to me and share something with me or ask me questions about anything, that can be the podcast or my book or just my life period. If there's anything you still need clarification on, there is a way for you to do this. Follow me on Instagram and send me a DM and I'll do my best to hit you back when I get the chance. And I'll maybe even make a podcast about it if it's something that I feel like everyone needs to hear. Head on over to Amazon to grab your copy of my beautifully designed and incredibly anointed book, The Activated Word. It's available everywhere books are sold online. Now, the audiobook is out as well, and it will give you the option to get it. But please don't purchase it yet because I wanted to make a few changes and it would not let me take it off the market, unfortunately. So, that new update should be ready within the next two weeks, and I'll definitely let you know um, when to purchase the audiobook. Cause y'all are going to love it. You don't have to do no reading. I just get to read for you. It is read by me. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm sure you like my voice, especially if you've listened for this long, <laughs> you like my voice. Um, so yeah, I will let you know when to purchase the audiobook. Stay tuned for that. Don't forget to check out the merch for Red at IamRedPodcast.com. If you go on the home screen of Red the podcast on Spotify and you look at the description of the podcast and you click view more, I think it says view more or see more. Um, you will be able to see this link in the description. But if not, if you can't find it, just go to Google and type in I am Red podcast.com. I uploaded a few new shirts on there in the past few weeks, and I included a woman's tank that says our title for today, Planted, and a men's tank that says Chosen, as well as a premium unisex shirt that also says Chosen. They are hot fire, not going to lie. The shirts are extremely comfortable and prints so well. And just in case you don't have the funds to pay it out fully, we also have an option on the site to choose afterpay at checkout. So you can make small payments as low as four or five bucks instead. And that's usually a great option if you want to order two or more shirts or get some for the whole family. Because I don't know if you know, but I also have a kid's t-shirt on there too that says all God on it. So make sure to Just go on the website, look at all the options, click on the drop-down color tab for each shirt, because most of the shirts have multiple colors to choose from, and you don't wanna miss out on a color that you could have gotten and you end up getting a color you really didn't want. I tried to design them so everyone would find something that really suits their comfort and liking. So again, check out the merch, it is dope. But before I leave you, I do want to pray for you really quickly. So let's pray. Father, thank you that as long as we trust you, the process will be smooth. Thank you that we are not afraid of being planted. For we know that no matter the season, you've prepared us for it. Just like a plant doesn't shrivel up and die just because winter is coming but instead gets itself ready for the change in seasons? Get us ready, get us ready, Lord. Keep our strength just as strong in the winter as we are in the days of summer. Let us flourish just as mightily in the fall as we do in the spring, and we will never cease to praise you. In your name we pray, amen. It's been so great talking to you. I always have a great time teaching you, and I can't wait to come back on the podcast for the very next episode. But until then, stay red.